Y'all doing well this morning? 9 a.m. service. So good to see y'all. I want to give you some uh, praises, updates, announcements, and then I'm going to read a passage from um, Nehemiah. I should have turned to that already. One of a pastor's fears is that he'll never he'll never find the passage he's looking for, and I may be that guy right now. Okay, but first let's do praises. Hey, Allie, my niece is home. She had a wonderful homecoming party Friday, and uh, I saw her yesterday. You can tell she's been sick, can't you, Bennett? She's, uh, she's quite thin, but she is happy to be home, and they are grateful for the prayers that were lifted up on her behalf. Um, she's still got, she's got some restrictions on what all she can and can't do. But boy, it is so, so, so good to have her home. Hallelujah and praise the Lord. Uh, continue to pray for Tracy McCormick. Somebody mentioned to me that he had COVID. Now, I don't know. I can't confirm that, but I had heard that after everything that he's gone through. Dennis Pike, continue to pray for him. Um. The Whittemores, I want to update you on the Whittemores. They still have to be away a few more weeks, but Mr. Joe said they are progressing. So let's continue to lift up Joe and Judy. Uh, pray for me at 11 o'clock. I will be preaching in Glen, Georgia. Does anybody know where Glen is? Southwest. Beth will be there. Southwest corner of Heard County, Glen Methodist. That church started in 1825. And today is their homecoming, so um, I'm looking forward to being there at 11. We have Bryson preaching for us today at 9 and 11. I'm looking forward to the message that God has placed on his heart from Luke chapter 11. Okay, backpacks, we're passing those out. So if you haven't received your backpack yet, please get that. They are due back, I think it's the second Sunday in October, so that we can take those to the associational meeting the third Sunday. Deacons meeting today at 5. Deacons, please be there. We have several important items to discuss, including uh, October the 3rd, whether or not we will go back to one service, and is that going to be our homecoming? So we'll, we'll update you all on what we feel led to do regarding October the 3rd. Now, one thing we do know is going to happen on October the 3rd in the evening, a baptism for Piper Busby at her home. She has a pond, so we're going to have a deep water baptism Sunday afternoon uh, at Piper's house. So we want to invite the whole church to worship with us and celebrate with us her public profession of faith in Christ. I also feel led to say there will be food there, which is always good. And I feel led to say if any of you have, are contemplating baptism and have never been baptized, I would love to talk with you about that and the possibility of you being baptized when Piper is baptized in the pond. So just put that on your heart and mind. Uh, if any of you have never been baptized, this will be a great opportunity Hobo Supper, formerly known as Hobo Supper, Fall Festival will be Wednesday night, October the 27th. Please put that on your calendar. And then our Student Pumpkin Smash will be October 31st. That's a Sunday evening. And then tonight, uh, adults and students and children at 6 o'clock. Okay, any other announcements or prayer requests or praises? There's been a lot that we've been praying for. I thought Bryce, Bryson's fixing his mic. <laughs> Any prayer requests, updates? Ma yes, ma'am. Uh, pray for my niece, Elisa McLean Canterbury. Yes. Elisa was in an accident four weeks ago, and she's still at Grady in ICU. Really? Elisa at one time was part of this church four weeks ago? Let's pray for Elisa. Thank you, Joyce. Hey, we're grateful for Miss Joyce and her uh, availability and, and talent and willingness to uh, play the piano for us. Other updates or requests? 
Okay, let's stand. Uh, after you hear the message, you'll, you'll understand why this passage in Nehemiah chapter 1 is chosen. If you want to read one of the great prayers of the Bible, and if you ask what should be our posture and our attitude and our words in prayer, one of the great prayers is found in Nehemiah chapter 1. You remember Nehemiah had asked about God's people in Jerusalem and what their condition was. So when he was given the update, this is his prayer. It came about that when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, here's his prayer, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which thou didst command thy servant Moses. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And they are thy servants and thy people, whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name. I'll read that phrase again. Who delight to revere thy name and make... Thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. And he says, I was the cupbearer to the king. Father, we are grateful for your compassion that you bestowed upon Nehemiah, that you bestow upon us in Christ, and that you continue to bestow upon us through the, through the word of God and through the spirit of God. And may your spirit rest upon us this morning in a powerful way so that we might, like Nehemiah, Approach you today with reverence, approach you today in fear, approach you today in humility, approach you today in brokenness and an attitude of prayer. Lord, teach us, speak to us through your word to our hearts and our minds. May they be renewed uh, to be able to express like Nehemiah this kind of brokenness, this kind of surrender, but also the joy and the enthusiasm, Lord, that comes from that. Be with Bryson today as he preaches from Luke. Feed us, Lord, from your word so that we might worship you and serve you and then love and serve others as we should. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. We're going to sing some good ones this morning. Y'all want to sing some good ones this morning? We're going to start with just a little talk with Jesus. Jesus. 
for Jesus. here because it's just in my head and I just feel like we need to sing it. You ready? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you um, for the fun reminder this morning, God, that we know we can always talk to you, God. That communication line never loses service. But, God, you want us to not just talk to you, but walk with you too, God. Lord, this week, may you clearly show us the path that you have led in front of us, God, so that we may um, choose consciously every day to walk and talk to you, God. Lord, I can't wait um, for this sermon, God, because it's a prayer we all know so well, God, yet there's so much more to it, God. Lord, be with Bryson. May we just hear clearly from you through him. May he be your vessel this morning, God. And Lord, just thank you for allowing us to join in song and fellowship and worship this morning, God. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
You may be seated. All right. Sorry if that's going to be a problem. I'll, I'll use a different mic. Um, this morning, if you would, turn to uh, Luke chapter 11. We're going to continue in our walk through Luke. Um, and as, we, as you turn there, I just want to give a little recap, a little context of where we've been, uh, which is always important. Um, we continue our walk, and, and ever since, uh, as we remember, chapter 9, verse 51... Uh, we have been on our way with Jesus to Jerusalem. So in 951, it says that Jesus set his eyes or resolutely set his heart on Jerusalem. And so what we see in Luke is this extended narrative of his walk to Jerusalem. And uh, so that's, that's the place that we're in right now is that Jesus is headed to ultimately what he came to earth to do, which is die on the cross and, and, and rise again. And so what we see here is, is, is that pattern. But what I want us to really quickly look at is that we've, we've actually been in this, this smaller section of Jesus teaching about discipleship. And really for the last chapter and a half, what we've seen is Jesus talking to his disciples about what discipleship truly looks like. In 9, 51 through 62, we see instructions that being a disciple of Jesus includes a call to compassion and a call to being sold out. In 10, 1 through 24, Jesus sends out the 70 and gives them instructions on being disciples through mission. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw the, the greatest commandment and the call for the disciples to be those who love and those who show mercy as, as we have been shown mercy. And then last week, um, we had the, the, the story of Mary and Martha and that true discipleship begins with being and leads to doing. And so as we've seen, Jesus is really honing in on teaching his disciples about discipleship, about what it truly means to be a disciple of his. And this week, <clears throat> we're going to be in a, uh, in, a, in a text that many of us know. Many of us have heard since we were children. Many people within the church have heard and, without, and outside of the church have heard. And uh, as uh, Jeff Root called it this morning, it's an oldie but a goodie. And I'd like to add to that, not only is it an oldie and a goodie, but it's also so very important and sometimes forgotten. And uh, I don't usually talk about what I title a message at the beginning of the message, but in this message, it's, it's a gift, but the applicational part is it's oftentimes forgotten. And so I, I hope this morning that we can, we can read the text and see in it the truth of how important this gift from the Father is. So, throughout Luke, there's been an emphasis on prayer. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but in uh, chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus prays at his baptism. Chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prays before the calling and the naming of the 12 apostles. Chapter 9, verse 28, Jesus prays before his transfiguration. So Luke has this emphasis on Jesus' prayer life, and that continues in chapter 11, verse 1, as it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. What a good answer from a friend. Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you, get, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, we thank you for this time we get to spend in your word. Lord, show us the places in which we need to expand. Show us the places where we need to uh, subtract, Lord. Allow it to be a, a place in which we can, we can see in your word the perfection of your word, Lord. The perfection of the work of, of your spirit in the word, Lord. And that we leave this place just renewed and, and with, with a greater understanding of the gift that you've given us in prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if it's okay with you, I actually would like to just take a, a moment to be um, honest and personal um, with you all. And, and, and this is not something that I would make a habit of because this sermon's not about me. Um, it's about Christ. But um, I feel as if this story is both important um, and, and, and connected to the text, but it also gives us the opportunity to break down some barriers of what we're allowed to talk about in church. Because sometimes I think we put up barriers that Jesus didn't put up. So, two weeks ago, a week ago Thursday, I had met with some friends of mine um, for breakfast, other pastors. And one of the pastors had been talking about all the amazing things that were happening in his church. He was talking about the youth group and, and the growth and, and just all of these different areas that were, had been going so well. And uh, as, a, as a follower of Christ, my thought should have been, man, that is amazing. I'm so thankful for that. You know, I'm so thankful for the work that the Lord is doing in your church. But all I could think while he was speaking was, yeah, okay. You know, there was in me a doubt of the work of God in his church. Within me, there was a doubt of what he was saying. Was it true or not? The words that were coming out of his mouth were more so um, constricting and hurting me rather than edifying me. And that was not, had nothing to do with him as I was to find out. So I got in the truck to drive back here and do some, some office work, and I made it about halfway from Franklin to, to here, and the Lord just, you know, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but I just broke down um, emotionally. And the question that I was faced with was, Bryson, like, what happened? What's happened to you that you hear the work that God is doing in another church, and instead of being thankful for that you are skeptical of it and uh, I immediately called my dad because that's the guy I call when things like this happen and I'm here to tell you that what had happened was I had lost connection with the father last week I almost came down when Neil preached on Mary and Martha because I have been living in a Martha mentality and whether you think that that is a danger or not, I'm telling you, even those within the ministry can live in a Martha mentality. I was doing seminary work. I was writing sermons. I was reading books. I was in the Word, but I was not in relationship. And so I believe that God gave me the opportunity to preach this sermon this morning, not so much for you, but for me. And so I want to Enter into that this morning and saying that you don't have to, God gives us the ability to be not just in ministry, not just in the word, but in relationship. And that is what Jesus is presenting to his disciples this morning. So as the disciples ask, Lord, teach us to pray. I think the first thing that, God, that Jesus gives his disciples is a pattern to follow. A pattern to follow. Oftentimes within this, we hear people quote this, uh, this sermon before ball games. Or maybe just, you know, at a, at a service or whatnot. And, that, and I think that's a great way to do it. I think, you can, I think the, the, the words, when you pray, say, give us the ability and the, and, and the okay to, to, to speak these words exactly. But I also think sometimes that, God, that Jesus is giving his disciples not only a pattern of words, but a pattern of posture and of heart before the Lord. Charlie is reaching a really fun age right now when he's able to interact and play and, you know, we're playing ball and all those kind of things. But he's also entering a dangerous age because he can repeat. And he can, he can do the same things that I've done and he can say the same things that I've said. And so even within the last week, there's been a couple of times I was like, um, you know, don't burp out loud like daddy just did, okay? Like, 
I won't, go any, I won't go any deeper than that. But in verse 1, I want us to see that, that Jesus was praying in a certain place. And we've had this emphasis throughout Luke on him praying. And so as the disciples see Jesus pray, they, they look and they say, oh, there's something in Jesus' prayer life that, that I desire. And so what draws the, the, the disciples in is not so much the words that Jesus is saying, but the way in which he's praying. Now, for a Jewish man, as the disciples were, prayer would have been a normal aspect of life. Probably even more, they would have been more prayerful than many of us are, if we're being completely honest. Because it was ingrained in their very day-to-day life. They prayed for certain meals, they prayed at certain festivals, they prayed in the synagogues, they prayed at certain times during the day. So the the disciples themselves knew what prayer was. So what is it about Jesus that made them say, wow, we really don't know how to pray? The truth of the matter was, it was not so much that they didn't know what prayer was, but they wanted what the prayer life that Jesus had. They wanted the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. They looked at Jesus when he prayed, and he prayed like prayer actually meant something to him and wasn't just a ceremonial act. It wasn't something that Jesus just had to do formally. It was something that he desired to do. He had to do spiritually. It was his connection to the Father. The disciples saw something that they didn't see in other people and in other places in the prayer life of Jesus. I mean, think about this for the number of times in the, in the, in the Gospels that it, it says that they went looking for Jesus and he was praying. Or it said Jesus was praying all night long. Jesus was, it was in the middle of the night and Jesus was praying. It was three in the morning and after he prayed, he went out and walked on the water. Like Jesus, Imagine waking up and being like, where's Jesus? Oh, he's been praying all night long. Like, what does he have to say? <laughs> Because I don't know about you, but I get about 10 minutes into a prayer and I'm starting to repeat stuff. You know, did I pray for my dog already? I, th- I think so. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm coming up with whatever I can to, to keep praying. And Jesus just keeps going and going and going. So it, it was, it was the, the intimacy and the relationship and, and all of these things that they saw in Jesus' prayer life that, 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 that drew them in. Hebrews 5 Verses 5 through 7 say, In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, and today I've become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. And so what I want to emphasize here is that Jesus' prayer life was incredibly um, real, incredibly thick, incredibly um, just palpable because of his relationship with the Father as Son. Sonship reveals the intimacy of the relationship. Me and Neil are close, but me and Neil will never be as close as Neil and Bennett. There is a relationship there in their, in their father-son relationship that, that we lack. And if you ask people who have grown up without a father, do you desire that relationship? They'll say yes, because we, are, we desire a relationship between fathers and sons. So Jesus' relationship to the father as his son is what made the difference in his prayer life. And so now that the disciples have been drawn in, they ask Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, and the first word that comes out of his mouth is what? Father. Jesus is opening the door for his disciples to commune with God in a way in which they get to approach God, not just as almighty God, not just as creator, not just as heavenly father, but father. I want us to really quickly see how incredible that is for the disciples because in in the Old Testament... God is referred to as Father 15 times, and none of them in prayer. 15 times in the Old Testament, Father is used as a description of God, but never in prayer. Just between Matthew and John, God is referred to as Father 165 times. 
And in 164 of those times, it's when Jesus is teaching his disciples. And so what that means is that Jesus is giving them the opportunity to have a son, daughter, father relationship with the creator of the world. And so when he says, when you pray, say, Father, that would have blown them away. And it should blow us away, too. Did you notice that in in Nehemiah, he talks about all their sin? I've sinned. Israel sinned. My family has sinned. But then he says, but you, even, even through all that sin, I know, God, that you can work and move in my life. And that's the same way here. Jesus is saying, yeah, Peter, James, John, you guys are sinners. But through me, you can have a personal daughter-son father relationship with, 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 with the God Almighty, who's, who's the creator, who's, who's over all and, and through all and in all. And so that should get us excited about the fact that Jesus has offered us an adoption into son and daughter relationship with the father, the good father, the greatest father. J.I. Packer in his, in his book about adoption, is asked, what is a Christian? And his answer is, one who knows God as Father. The prayer life of the disciples was to be centered on the Father and the Father's will. It was to begin with, with, with the knowledge and the understanding that Jesus has given us a great gift And that is an open relationship with his father through the son. Let's grasp how incredible that is. Let's just take a minute and and, and think about the fact, knowing you, knowing me, knowing my past, knowing my sin, that Jesus offers me sonship with the father. Why wouldn't I start my prayer with father? If I, if, if I have a chance to talk to the Father, I better take that chance. So he begins with saying, Father. Next follows these five petitions. Okay, five petitions. And, and the first two are really centered on God himself. So he says these two things. Hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. After addressing God as Father, Jesus presents these, these, these two um, these two uh, phrases in which we are focused and intent on glorifying God through our lives. And so the first one, hallowed be your name. This really means, may your name be set apart as holy. Now this isn't to say that God has to have us say this in order for him to be holy. Because in Ezekiel 36, 22, it says, Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned profaned among the nations where you have gone. So God tells the Israelites at that point, you've profaned my name, but I will still make my name be known as holy. So what 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 does this mean for us in our prayer life? This means that when we go to pray... When the disciples go to pray, they recognize that, when I, that, that I can recognize God as Father. And that in itself should bring me to want to tell everyone and to, and to pray that, that God's name would be known as holy throughout the nations. If I understand the relationship that has been presented to me, then my prayer life should be centered on the fact that I want as many people to know God as holy as possible. He's offered a sinner like me a chance, a relationship with him. I want, I want his name to be known as holy. Lord, make your name known to the nation. Don't you want people to know about God? Don't you want people to, to come to relationship through Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus says, then pray like you do. Man, when I read this, it's an oldie but a goodie, but man, we forget the oldie sometimes. We forget the goodies sometimes. I don't want to forget that my number one priority in prayer is not my name, but his glory. Nothing else can, can, can go in, in the right order if we don't get the, the, the first thing first. Father, hallowed be your name. Do our prayers begin with a call for people to know God as holy? 
Secondly, your kingdom come. It, it, it comes right on the back of that. And so not only is this a desire for the power and the presence of God's kingdom to be seen in the future, right? We, we desire as believers, we should desire that, that Jesus would come back and take us home. If I know God as Father, then my desire is that I will see God's kingdom come, and I'm looking forward to that in the future. But not only that, but I want the power and the presence of God at work in my life now. We must recognize that, that, our, that our thought processes should be centered on wanting people to know God and wanting people to, to see the, the, the movement and the glory of God at work in our lives now. Jesus says that he will work in us and through us right now. So for the disciples, don't just look to a future thing. Look to the presence of God in your life now. God, let people see your name as holy. And Lord, may your kingdom come. May lives be changed. May, may repentance happen. May revival happen. When's the last time you truly got on your knees and prayed for revival to happen? That is God's kingdom coming now. Revival taking place in the hearts of his people. Not only do we desire his future kingdom, but that he may reign in our very hearts right now. Lord, I want your kingdom to take place right here. In my very life. He then moves on from there and, 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 and brings about these three things that the, the disciples are to pray for. Daily bread, forgiven sins, and lack of temptation. Daily bread, forgive, forgiven sins, and, and actually it's more of protection from temptation. And so these next three petitions really are for us. But I want to show you that in those, there's actually a, a glorifying aspect of those for God himself. So we've, we've, we've called God Father. We've, we've looked at him with, with eyes that we want to see his name be holy. We want to see his kingdom come, not only in the future, but now. And so he says, now pray for these three, these three things. First of all, give us each day our daily bread. Seems kind of anticlimactic. You know, your name be, name, your, your name be known as holy. Your kingdom come and give me something to eat. But what we miss oftentimes is that the need to be provided physical bread at this day and age was an, a necessary ask. These people did not have stored up for them in a bank account. They didn't have a Walmart to run to down the street. They made their bread daily, and they ate their bread daily, and they hoped they had enough yeast to make their bread the next day. And so truly this prayer is not so much like a, a laughing thing, but it's really the first true thing that, like, Lord, I know that you're holy, I, know, I want your kingdom to come, and also I need to eat tomorrow. I need to be fed. And I don't think that's so much just for their good, but it's also for his glory, because you know what they can focus on if they're not worried about bread? They can focus on discipleship. Lord, give me what I need to make it through tomorrow so that I can not fixate on whether I'm hungry, but I can think about how hungry the people are for your glory. And so in our lives, we may not have the same uh, thought process that, Lord, please provide for me some bread tomorrow. Like, I know I got a loaf of bread in, in the house. But for us, what is it that we need to be fed daily? Well, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So if we do not recognize our need to rely on God daily for physical and spiritual needs, our true need is much greater than we even recognize. If I wake up every day feeling self-sufficient, then really I'm, I have a bigger need than even physical bread. Jesus, teach me to wake up every morning knowing that the very breath in my lungs is from you. Lord, I need, I need daily breath. I need daily oxygen. I need, I need renewed spirit. I need perseverance. I need compassion. I need you at work in my very life to make it through every single day. There is no day that we can make it through on our own. Let's recognize our need to be fed daily by Jesus himself. Secondly, forgiven sins. Pray, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. As disciples, we, we must see our daily need for repentance. If I'm to glorify God with my life, I need to begin 
with his grace anew in my soul each and every day. Not that, not that the, his work on the cross is, is less than satisfactory, but that so those sins aren't weighing me down as I go out to glorify the Father with my life. When you know your forgiveness, it's a lot easier to forgive other people. I really think that God wants us to stay in right relationship with people so we don't let the normal, like everyday little things get in the way of showing him glory. Lord, I know if you forgive me today, I can forgive those who, I, who have sinned against me and we together can glorify you for your kingdom. Don't get caught up in what was, but get caught up in what is and what's to come. Lord, forgive us our sins Romans 12, 17 says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible for you, as far as it depends, live at peace with everyone. It's only possible if we go to him daily. I can only live with peace with other people if, I, if my soul's at peace with God. Lord, forgive us our sins each day. And finally, protect us from temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Not that God would, would lead us to temptation, but this is, a, this is an ask, a prayer that God would protect me from Satan and his temptation, but also that God would protect me from my very self. Do you know that oftentimes the greatest tempter that you have is right here? I think about it like this. Charlie needs protecting from himself. Because Charlie will be walking on the porch, staring at a ball, and before you know it, he's at the edge of the porch and he's going off. And he doesn't see that there's a big fall there. I see things that Charlie doesn't see he needs protecting from. So there's things in your life that you don't even know you need protecting from, but if you cry out to God, Lord, lead me not into temptation, maybe, the, maybe those, you, won't, you won't be led to the edge of that porch. Lord, keep me from even getting, you know, there's things that I can't see that I would fall to if it wasn't for the protection of my Father. And so each of these ultimately leads to the glory of the Father. So first of all, he gives them a pattern of prayer. Father, may your name be holy. May your kingdom come. May you feed me daily. May you forgive me so that I can forgive others. And may you protect me from myself. What a prayer. And not only that, but he gives us, secondly, a lesson to learn. A lesson to learn. So this second section is really interesting, and I struggled a lot this week with it, um, because like, it's, it, it, it takes some understanding of the culture of that time to really get what's going on here. So I'm going to be as, as, as quick as possible as I can with it. But the culture of uh, first century Palestine, okay? Friendship and, and being a good host was of utmost importance. People did not have fences around their houses, unless you were the king, right? There, the, you, you, people lived right next to each other like a subdivision, but instead of big houses, there was like one-room huts. And most of the time, people went out throughout the day with their door open. So people would come in and out of people's homes, checking on them, seeing them, all those kind of things. You know, we didn't, we didn't do like I do sometimes when the doorbell, somebody knocks, I like hide in a corner and look out and see who it is before I go to the door, okay? Even, I'm not talking about like 10, I'm talking about now, that's what I still do. You know, I don't know who's knocking on my door. They came in and out. They went from market to home to market. They went to the, to the well and back. So this was a normal thing. People show up, you feed them. That's why this guy's in such a dilemma. Well, you showed up at midnight, but I still got to feed you something. I don't have any bread left. Bread was made daily like we've talked about, right? It's not like he had some ready for tomorrow. His idea was, I'm getting up at 5 o'clock and I'll make bread for the rest of the day. He didn't have any bread on him. And also, you got to think about the home. If it's a one-room home, then that one room is your kitchen, it's your living room, and it's your bedroom. So imagine you, yourself, Four kids all gathered around the, the warmest area and laying down. I mean, I think about this from the, the, like if somebody comes knocking on my door at midnight when I finally got Charlie to go to sleep, you better call me friend, you know? So imagine, I want you to think about have you, if you've ever been camping with like three or four people sleeping in the same tent and you wake up in the middle of the night and you got to use the bathroom, you know for a fact that you're waking some other people up to try to get out of there. 
Like, just help me hold it, you know, because I don't want these people angry at me. So this guy knocks on the door, and he says, friend, good start, right? Friend, I need some bread. And the dad's like, I got three kids beside me. My wife's on the other side. We just got this, you know, like, leave me alone, <laughs> right? We got to understand what's going on here. This, this is not a normal occurrence, in Palestine, the door closed was like having that sign from the, from the uh, hotel that says, do not disturb. Like, my door's closed. It's locked. We're asleep. Leave me alone. So he says, leave me alone. I'm, I'm locked. I'm in bed with my children. I can't get up or everybody's going to get up. That's not going to be good for me. But does the guy go away? No, he says, I need some bread. It doesn't say how many times he knocked, but I'm guessing a lot. Because it says, not because of friendship, but because of shameless audacity. Because of boldness. Because of the continuance of it. Finally, the guy on the inside gets up, and he gives him whatever he needs. Now, we need to be very careful not to um, misread the teaching here. Because the truth of the matter is, yes, we are the guy on the... I believe the disciples are being told that they're the guy on the outside of the door. They're the guy knocking. But too often, I think we, we read every parable the same, and we think, well, if that's me, then God has to be the person on the inside. Let's be very careful not to attribute the stubborn, grumpy old man on the inside to God. Right? I don't think that's, that's Jesus' point here. I don't think Jesus is saying, you're the guy on the outside, and, and, and God's the one on the inside, and if you bother God enough, eventually out of spite, he'll get up and give you some bread. I don't, I don't think throughout the Bible that doesn't teach the way that the, that the God that I know is taught. So what is the lesson here? I think the lesson is that Jesus is, is, is giving his disciples permission to approach a holy, loving God the way that this man on the outside approaches the man on the inside. And what that means is, is, is we can approach God with shameless audacity and boldness, but with the expectation that God isn't bothered by it, but he delights in it. The truth of the matter is, fine, you know, this guy will finally get up, not because of friendship, but he'll finally get up and come and give you what you need because of your shameless audacity. Just imagine how much God will give you, the one who's ready to, to give you good things, the one who's ready to respond if you come to him with the same boldness and shameless audacity that you would a neighbor when you need some bread. Because for me, it's so easy to, 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 to annoy people, really, to get what I want, but some, somehow in some way I, I, I forget that I'm, I'm able to go before the very God of creation. I really believe that Jesus is teaching his disciples, you've been given the gift of knocking over and over and over and over and over and over again on God's door and knowing that he delights in that. Because the very next line says... So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So what's the lesson? Whether God will open the door or not, no. It's whether you will ask, seek, and knock or not. The lesson's not about whether God will not answer. The, the, the lesson really is, will you ask? Will you ask? Have you ever thought, you know, that's too small, really, for God to care about? You know, you have something on your heart. I don't, that's really too small for God to care about. Or, you know, I can probably try to fix this on my own. You ever had something where you thought, you know, I, can, I, I, I think that I'll just, I'll just take care of this myself. And a lot of times that comes from, from an idea and a thought process that God is somehow unapproachable. And really, if you, if you think about it, like, it, it makes no sense because the God who's, David Platt said this, think about this, I know you are running the universe. I know that you are running the universe, but I really have, you know, something that I could, that could use your attention. You know, think about how, how bold that is to go before the God of the universe and say, I have something in my small, minute, short life that I'd really like you to pay attention to for a second. 
And Jesus doesn't say that he's going to turn you away, but Jesus says that, that God's waiting on the, on, on the other side of the door, wanting you to knock. That's why it's called the forgotten gift of the Father, because for some way, somehow, we've twisted it in our minds and somehow think that God is unapproachable, when in reality, we're just unwilling to ask. And not only are we unwilling to ask, but we ask with selfish intentions rather than in a heart of glorifying him. You know why this guy came? Not because he needed bread, but because he needed bread for his friend. We'll ask all day long for our own bread. God is trying to show us that he wants us to approach him, but he wants us to approach him with the right heart for glorifying him. The, the, the two are not separated. You need to pray in this way, but feel okay about praying this way. Pray for God's name to be, to be made holy, but don't forget that you got to go to God and ask him, Lord, show me how to make your name be holy. God, your kingdom come. Show me how I can be a part of your kingdom coming. The man could have tried to bake some bread on his own. He didn't have the right ingredients. He could have chosen not to ask, but he knew that his friend was in need. So, but instead, he went and he asked and he asked and he asked and he asked and he asked. Why did he do such a thing? Because, one, he had a great need to ask. Let us not miss our need to go. This isn't just a gift, but it's a necessity for the life of a disciple. If you think that you can do discipleship without prayer, you are missing it. If you think that you can be a disciple of Christ in this type of world without an avid prayer life, I'm telling you, this world ate me up, and I was living in ministry and seminary, and it ate me alive because I was not in relationship. I was not having a talk or a walk with Jesus Christ. In, those, in, those, in, those, in that time period. And so not only do we have a great need to ask, but we also know that it's okay to ask. Jesus is giving his disciples the okay to go before the Father and to ask. This guy knocked and knocked and knocked, and you can keep knocking. God desires for us as his children to come to him in boldness, to pursue him shamelessly, in prayer. But we also must see that there is nowhere else to go. There's no other place for us to go but to keep knocking, to keep asking, and to keep seeking. I mean, for 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually. 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. We got things that we need to put before God, and Jesus is giving us permission to do so. Keep knocking, keep asking, and keep seeking. When I had my, uh, when I had my breakdown last Thursday, and I, and I realized this in my own life, I told you the first person I called was my father. And the reason I called my father is, you know who I've called in the past when I've had these moments? My father. You know how he's responded? Come on. Dad, I don't know what's going on, but I need to talk. Come on. Dad, are you busy? Not too busy. Come on. Man, if my dad is that way and he's evil, then what great gifts the Father will give to those who ask. And that's what we're going to get into this last thing. Because sometimes I know that sometimes we recognize and we see, hey, I've been asking for a long time, but it hasn't seemed like I got an answer. Right? You tell me if I ask and I seek and I knock, then the door will be open. But what about the times that it doesn't seem like the door's been opened? Well, the last thing that Jesus says is there's a promise to hold. There's a promise to hold. And so we get into this last section where he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And if you ask for an egg, we'll give you a scorpion. And like, I'm, pre I'm still pretty new at being a father, but I, both, I know both of those things are probably bad ideas. You know, like, daddy, I want, you know, who does that? <laughs> Like, what kind of father, you know, if Charlie came up to me, can I have an egg? Yeah, sure, here's a, you know, here's a rattlesnake. That doesn't make any sense. I'm pretty new at it, and a lot of times I'm still pretty bad at it, but even I know that that's, that's not the right way to father. So then he returns to the emphasis we saw in verse 2, and he says, if, if, 
If you all who are evil and, 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 and bad and wrong a lot of the times know how to give good gifts to your, to your children, then how much more will your Heavenly Father give to those who ask? And, and so here's the promise that we hold on to. I want you to think about for a second the, uh, the disciples and what they've seen. So far, just in Luke's account, they've seen Jesus has healed demon-possessed men. He has healed blind men. Jesus has calmed storms. Jesus has taught the teachers of the law. He's embarrassed those who call themselves the teachers of the law. Jesus has raised a widow's son from the dead. So as this is building, the disciples are thinking, man, like I know that God's got some good gifts to give. He's got the gift of, of healing. He's got the gift of, 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 of restoring. He's got, the, he's got the gift of teaching. He, 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 can, he, can, he can give all these good gifts. And so what is the gift that he's going to give me? Right? So they're wait, waiting to hear what good gifts the perfect God will give them. Will I be able to teach like Jesus? Will I be able to heal like Jesus? Will I be able to destroy the Pharisees like Jesus? And the answer is, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And the truth that God is displaying here through Jesus is that the greatest gift that God can give you is himself. The Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, that's the gift. Matthew says good gifts, right? But I like this better because I know that the Holy Spirit encompasses all of those gifts. Lord, give me, give me a wise counsel in this. Why don't I give you the counselor? Lord, help me in this moment. Why don't I give you the advocate? Lord, help me to remember. Why don't I give you the one who knows my, my very self because he is me, the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so what I want us to see, as corny as it sounds, is that sometimes, you know, I ask God to give me a sermon, but he knows that I need a lesson instead. God, and there was prayers that I had on, on Fridays when I'm getting ready for Sunday nights. God, just give me a sermon. But what I didn't realize is what I needed was the preparation. What I needed was the time spent with him in preparation for the sermon. Eventually the sermon would come, but what I needed is the relationship and, and the aspect of getting in the right heart with God in leading up to that. And sometimes we say, you know, Lord, just give me, a, could you give me a new job? And I know we've prayed this before, and I'm not saying that's the wrong prayer, but sometimes instead of that job, God wants to give you a purpose. Maybe you're in the job that you have because God knows that that's where he needs you. And so sometimes, and I, I know it's going to sound corny, but sometimes the answer to prayer is an unanswered prayer. Because how much more does the Heavenly Father know what you need rather than you? If you can give good gifts to your children, then just imagine the gifts he's given you even when you don't see it. We need, to, we need to remember that, that God is ultimately love, and he's ultimately good, and he's ultimately sovereign. And so when we go to God and we pray for something, and, he's, and, and it seems like he's saying no, maybe he's actually saying yes, but in the right way. Maybe he's giving us not what we asked for, but what we needed. Isn't that what a good father would do? Imagine if, 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 if would I give my son a snake if he asked for it? Probably not, because I know that that's not good for him. Sometimes we're asking for snakes. We're asking for scorpions. God knows what a good gift is. So the true gift of a child of God is God himself at work in their lives. Disciples are used to be lining up. I mean, think about these disciples. They were used to seeing one priest go into the holies of holies once a year and get to experience relationship with God while they all watched on from the outside, but Jesus says that same, that thing can happen, that can happen to you every single day. You get to experience the presence of God every single day. That's the gift. That's the greatest gift is God himself. And so what do we take from this, this morning that we can hold on to? I think one thing is this. Our prayers have to be God-centered. If our prayers are not God-centered, then they're powerless. 
He says it right there. What's the first thing you say? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. If our prayers don't lead off in that way, then we are missing the ultimate point of prayer, which is glorifying Father. Secondly, you can ask. Not only can you ask, God wants you to. God doesn't look at you as a little bitty, teeny-weeny little thing on earth. He looks at you as son and daughter. Man, I just want you to ask. Just come to me. Just ask. And then lastly, know that I'm going to give you good gifts. I'm going to give you the greatest gift of all, which is me at work in your life. I'm going to give you myself. We need to remember those things this week, and, and, and I need to remember those things this week. Because it's easy for this world to, to suck you up and, and, and to get you so busy that you miss the need for that, that relationship. Don't let prayer be the, the forgotten gift of the Father. Let it be the driving force of discipleship. If we're disconnected to the Father, then we're disconnected from discipleship. Lord, um, we love you, and we thank you for this time that we get to spend together. And I uh, thank you for these, these people who are here this morning, Lord, my church family. I, I love them, and I'm, th- I'm thankful for them, Lord. And um, I'm thankful that you, you brought them here this morning. Lord, that we, can, um, that we can find hope in the fact that you, the creator of the universe, are not too big for us to come to with our almost seemingly you know, un, unimportant needs, Lord. If it's important to us, it's important to you. Lord, I pray that you would transform our souls and our hearts, Lord, to see our prayer lives need to be centered around you, Lord. I think about Hannah when she prayed for a son. She prayed for a son that she could give him to you. Lord, Nehemiah wanted the strength not to just get past his own sin, but to, the strength to be able to, to, to be forgiven and then to build the wall that you had called him to build, Lord. Lord may, may, we, may, may we approach prayer in a way in which we want our prayers to be answered, not for our own selfishness, Lord, but ultimately for your glory. When we, when we see that as the, as the ultimate end to our prayer lives, Lord, what we will see is answered prayers. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Revive us. Let us see this week, Lord, ways in which we need to spend time with you, Lord. Don't let us get so busy that we, that we allow prayer to become forgotten within our lives. We thank you so much. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing In the Garden, which is one of my favorite songs. Um, and it's true. We get a chance to, to walk with Jesus. And uh, so if you need to... To come and pray, if you need prayer or, or, or whatever it is, I'll be up here and uh, you, come, you come as we sing.
Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. And uh, I'm going to pretend like I can't see the clock back there, but I'm pretty sure it's time for Sunday school. Um, so uh, Sunday school uh, starting now. And uh, if you need, if you haven't been to a class, you want to get connected with a class, you can see me or Neil or Jeff. Uh, don't forget that the uh, senior adult class has started back. And uh, also, what's the other? The young adult class has started back. Um, and also, if you are interested, there's a class for parents of middle school and high school teens starting October 3rd um, that Bill and Tracy Grissett's going to lead that I think is going to be really good for, for parents. So um, if you're interested in that, you can see us um, with any of those questions. So as we close. Hey, and don't forget, um, be in prayer, Creed, and then fly out tomorrow. So Creed, and then go back home to Japan tomorrow. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Have a great week.